Chapter 27 Two Visits It was Nancy who was sent to tell Mr. John Pendleton of Dr. Mead's verdict. Miss Polly had remembered her promise to let him have direct information from the house. To go herself, or to write a letter, she felt to be almost equally out of the question. It occurred to her then to send Nancy... There had been a time when Nancy would have rejoiced greatly at this extraordinary opportunity to see something of the house of mystery and its master. But today, her heart was too heavy to rejoice at anything. She scarcely even looked about her at all, indeed, during the few minutes she waited for Mr. John Pendleton to appear. Um, Nancy, sir, she said respectfully, in response to the surprised questioning of his eyes when he came into the room. Miss Harrington sent me to tell you about Miss Pollyanna. Well? In spite of the curt terseness of the word, Nancy quite understood the anxiety that lay behind that short well. It ain't well, Mr. Pendleton, she choked. You don't mean, he paused, and she bowed her head miserably. Yes, sir. He says she can't walk again. Never. For a moment, there was absolute silence in the room. Then the man spoke, in a voice shaken with emotion. Poor little girl. Poor little girl. Nancy glanced at him, but dropped her eyes at once. She had not supposed that sour, cross, stern John Pendleton could look like that. In a moment, he spoke again, still in the low, unsteady voice. It seems cruel never to dance in the sunshine again, my little prism girl. There was another silence. Then, abruptly, the man asked, She herself doesn't know yet, of course, does she? But she does, sir, sobbed Nancy. And that's what makes it all the harder. She found out. Drat that cat. I begs your pardon, apologized the girl hurriedly. It's only that the cat pushed open the door and Miss Pollyanna overheard him talking. She found out that way. Poor little girl, sighed the man again. Yes, sir. You'd say so, sir, if you could see her, choked Nancy. I ain't seen her but twice, and she knew about it, and it done me up both times. You see, it's all so fresh and new to her, and she keeps thinking all the time of new things she can't do now. It worries her, too, because she can't seem to be glad. Maybe you don't know about her game, though, broke off Nancy apologetically. The glad game? asked the man. Oh, yes, she told me of that. Oh, she did. Well, I guess she has told it generally to most folks. But you see, now she, she can't play it herself, and it worries her. She says she can't think of a thing, not a thing about this not walking again to be glad about. Well, why should she, retorted the man, almost savagely. Nancy shifted her feet uneasily. That's the way I felt, too, till I happened to think. It would be easier if she could find something, you know. So I tried to, 
to remind her. To remind her of what? John Pendleton's voice was still angrily impatient. Of, of how she told others to play it, Miss Snow and the rest, you know, and what she said for them to do. But the poor little lamb just cries and says it don't seem the same somehow. She says it's easy to tell lifelong invalids how to be glad. But taint the same thing when you're the lifelong invalid yourself and have to try to do it. She says she's told herself over and over again how glad she is that other folks ain't like her. But that all the time she's saying it, she ain't really thinking of anything, only how she can't ever walk again. Nancy paused, but the man did not speak. He sat with his hand over his eyes. Then I tried to remind her how she used to say the game was all the nicer to play when, when it was hard, resumed Nancy in a dull voice. But she says that too is different when it really is hard. And I must be going now, sir, she broke off abruptly. At the door, she hesitated, turned and asked timidly, I couldn't be telling Miss Pollyanna that, that you'd seen Jimmy Bean again, I suppose, sir, could I? I don't see how you could, as I haven't seen him, observed the man a little shortly. Why? Nothing, sir, only, well, you see, that's one of the things that she was feeling bad about, that she couldn't take him to see you now. She said she'd taken him once, but she didn't think he showed off very well that day and that she was afraid you didn't think he would make a very nice child's presence after all. Maybe you know what she means by that, but I didn't, sir. Yes, I know what she means. All right, sir. It was only that she was wanting to take him again, she said, so's to show you he really was a lovely child's presence. And now she can't drat that automobile. I begs your pardon, sir. Goodbye. And Nancy fled precipitately. It did not take long for the entire town of Beldingsville to learn that the great New York doctor had said Pollyanna Whittier would never walk again. And certainly never before had the town been so stirred. Everybody knew by sight now the piquant little freckled face that had always a smile of greeting. And almost everybody knew of the game that Pollyanna was playing. To think that now, never again would that smiling face be seen on their streets. Never again would that cheery little voice proclaim the gladness of some everyday experience. It seemed unbelievable. Impossible cruel. In kitchens and sitting rooms and over backyard fences, women talked of it and wept openly. On street corners and in store lounging places, the men talked too and wept, though not so openly. And neither the talking nor the weeping grew less when fast on the heels of the news itself came Nancy's pitiful story that Pollyanna, face to face with what had come to her, was bemoaning most of all the fact that she could not play the game, that she could not now be glad over anything. It was then that the same thought must have, in some way, come to Pollyanna's friends. 
at all events, almost at once, the mistress of the Harrington homestead, greatly to her surprise, began to receive calls. Calls from people she knew and people she did not know. Calls from men, women, and children, many of whom Miss Polly had not supposed that her niece knew at all. Some came in and sat down for a stiff five or ten minutes. Some stood awkwardly on the porch steps, fumbling with hats or handbags according to their sex. Some brought a book, a bunch of flowers, or a dainty to tempt the palate. Some cried frankly. Some turned their backs and blew their noses furiously. But all inquired very anxiously for the little injured girl, and all sent to her some message. And it was these messages which, after a time, stirred Miss Polly to action. First came Mr. John Pendleton. He came without his crutches today. I don't need to tell you how shocked I am, he began, almost harshly. But can nothing be done? Miss Polly gave a gesture of despair. Oh, we're doing, of course, all the time. Dr. Mead prescribed certain treatments and medicines that might help, and Dr. Warren is carrying them out to the letter, of course. But Dr. Mead held out almost no hope. John Pendleton rose abruptly, though he had but just come. His face was white, and his mouth was set into stern lines. Miss Polly, looking at him, knew very well why he felt that he could not stay longer in her presence. At the door, he turned. I have a message for Pollyanna, he said. Will you tell her, please, that I have seen Jimmy Bean and that he's going to be my boy hereafter. Tell her I thought she would be glad to know. I shall adopt him, probably. For a brief moment, Miss Polly lost her usual well-bred self-control. You will adopt Jimmy Bean, she gasped. The man lifted his chin a little. Yes, I think Pollyanna will understand. You will tell her I thought she would be glad. Why, of, of course, faltered Miss Polly. Thank you, bowed John Pendleton as he turned to go. In the middle of the floor, Miss Polly stood, silent and amazed, still looking after the man who had just left her. Even yet, she could scarcely believe what her ears had heard. John Pendleton, adopt Jimmy Bean. John Pendleton, wealthy, independent, morose, reputed to be miserly and supremely selfish, to adopt a little boy, and such a little boy. With a somewhat dazed face, Miss Polly went upstairs to Pollyanna's room. Pollyanna, I have a message for you from Mr. John Pendleton, he has just been here. He says to tell you he has taken Jimmy Bean for his little boy. He said he thought you'd be glad to know it. Pollyanna's wistful little face flamed into sudden joy. Glad? Glad? Well, I reckon I am glad. Oh, Aunt Polly, I've so wanted to find a place for Jimmy. And that's such a lovely place. Besides, I'm so glad for Mr. Pendleton, too. You see, 
Now he'll have the child's presence. The what? Pollyanna colored painfully. She had forgotten that she had never told her aunt of Mr. Pendleton's desire to adopt her. And certainly she would not wish to tell her now that she had ever thought for a minute of leaving her. This dear Aunt Polly. The child's presence, stammered Pollyanna hastily. Mr. Pendleton told me once, you see, that only a woman's hand and heart or a child's presence could make a, a home. And now he's got it, the child's presence. Oh, I see, said Miss Polly very gently. And she did see, more than Pollyanna realized. She saw something of the pressure that was probably brought to bear on Pollyanna herself at the time John Pendleton was asking her to be the child's presence, which was to transform his great pile of gray stone into a home. I see, she finished, her eyes stinging with sudden tears. Pollyanna, fearful that her aunt might ask further embarrassing questions, hastened to lead the conversation away from the Pendleton house and its master. Dr. Chilton says so too, that it takes a woman's hand and heart or a child's presence to make a home, you know, she remarked. Miss Polly turned with a start. Dr. Chilton, how do you know that? He told me so. Twas when he said he lived in just rooms, you know, not a home. Miss Polly did not answer. Her eyes were out the window. So I asked him why he didn't get him, a woman's hand and heart, and have a home. Pollyanna, Miss Polly had turned sharply. Her cheeks showed a sudden color. Well, I did. He looked so, so sorrowful. What did he say? Miss Polly asked the question as if in spite of some force within her that was urging her not to ask it. He didn't say anything for a minute. Then he said very low that you couldn't always get him for the asking. There was a brief silence. Miss Polly's eyes had turned again to the window. Her cheeks were still unnaturally pink. Pollyanna sighed. He wants one, anyhow, I know, and I wish he could have one. Why, Pollyanna, how do you know? Because afterwards, on another day, he said something else. He said that low, too, but I heard him. He said that he'd give all the world if he did have one woman's hand and heart. Why, Aunt Polly, what's the matter? Aunt Polly had risen hurriedly and gone to the window. Nothing, dear, I was changing the position of this prism, said Aunt Polly, whose whole face now was aflame. Chapter 28, The Game and Its Players It was not long after John Pendleton's second visit that Millie Snow called one afternoon. Millie Snow had never before been to the Harrington homestead. She blushed and looked very embarrassed when Miss Polly entered the room. I, I came to inquire for the little girl, she stammered. You are very kind. She is about the same. How is your mother, rejoined Miss Polly, wearily. That is what I came to tell you. That is, 
to ask you to tell Miss Pollyanna, hurried on the girl, breathlessly and incoherently. We think it's so awful, so perfectly awful that the little thing can't ever walk again. And after all, she's done for us, too. For mother, you know, teaching her to play the game and all that. And when we heard how now she couldn't play it herself, poor little dear, I'm sure I don't see how she can either in her condition. But when we remembered all the things she'd said to us, we thought if she could only know what she had done for us, that it would help, you know, in her own case, about the game. Because she could be glad, that is, a little glad. Millie stopped helplessly and seemed to be waiting for Miss Polly to speak. Miss Polly had sat politely listening, but with a puzzled questioning in her eyes. Only about half of what had been said had she understood. She was thinking now that she had always known that Millie Snow was queer, but she had not supposed she was crazy. In no other way, however, could she account for this incoherent, illogical, unmeaning rush of words. When the pause came, she filled it with a quiet, I don't think I quite understand, Millie. Just what is it that you want me to tell my niece? Yes, that's it. I want you to tell her, answered the girl feverishly. Make her see what she's done for us. Of course, she's seen some things, because she's been there, and she's known Mother is different. But I want her to know how different she is. And me, too. I'm different. I've been trying to play it. The game, a little. Miss Polly frowned. She would have asked what Millie meant by this game, but there was no opportunity. Millie was rushing on again with nervous volubility. You know nothing was ever right before, for Mother. She was always wanting him different. And really, I don't know as one could blame her much, under the circumstances. But now she lets me keep the shades up, and she takes interest in things. How she looks, and her nightdress, and all that. And she's actually begun to knit little things. Reins and baby blankets for fairs and hospitals. And she's so interested, and so glad to think she can do it. And that was all Miss Pollyanna's doings, you know, because she told Mother she could be glad she'd got her hands and arms anyway. And that made Mother wonder right away why she didn't do something with her hands and arms. And so she began to do something. To knit, you know. And you can't think what a different room it is now. What with the red and blue and yellow worsteds and the prisms in the window that she gave her. Why, it actually makes you feel better just to go in there now. And before, I used to dread it awfully. It was so dark and gloomy. And Mother was so, so unhappy, you know. And so we want you to please tell Miss Pollyanna that we understand it's all because of her. And please say we're so glad we know her, that we thought, maybe if she knew it, it would make her a little glad that she knew us. And... And that's all, sighed Millie, rising hurriedly to her feet. You'll tell her? Why, of course, murmured Miss Polly, wondering just how much of this remarkable discourse she could remember to tell. These visits of John Pendleton and Millie Snow were only the first of many, and always there were the messages, 
The messages which were in some ways so curious that they caused Miss Polly more and more to puzzle over them. One day there was the little widow Benton. Miss Polly knew her well, though they had never called upon each other. By reputation, she knew her as the saddest little woman in town, one who was always in black. Today, however, Mrs. Benton wore a knot of pale blue at the throat, though there were tears in her eyes. She spoke of her grief and horror at the accident. Then she asked diffidently if she might see Pollyanna. Miss Polly shook her head. I am sorry, but she sees no one yet. A little later, perhaps. Mrs. Benton wiped her eyes, rose, and turned to go. But after she had almost reached the hall door, she came back hurriedly. Miss Harrington, perhaps you'd give her a message, she stammered. Certainly, Mrs. Benton, I shall be very glad to. Still, the little woman hesitated. Then she spoke. Will you tell her, please, that that I've put on this, she said, just touching the blue bow at her throat. Then, at Miss Polly's ill-concealed look of surprise, she added, the little girl has been trying for so long to make me wear some color that I thought she'd be glad to know I'd begun. She said that Freddy would be so glad to see it if I would. You know, Freddy's all I have now. The others have all... Mrs. Benton shook her head and turned away. If you'll just tell Pollyanna, she'll understand. And the door closed after her. A little later, that same day, there was the other widow. At least she wore widow's garments. Miss Polly did not know her at all. She wondered vaguely how Pollyanna could have known her. The lady gave her name as Mrs. Tarbell. I'm a stranger to you, of course, she began at once. But I'm not a stranger to your little niece, Pollyanna. I've been at the hotel all summer, and every day I've had to take long walks for my health. It was on these walks that I've met your niece. She's such a dear little girl. I wish I could make you understand what she's been to me. I was very sad when I came up here, and her bright face and cheery ways reminded me of my own little girl that I lost years ago. I was so shocked to hear of the accident, and then when I learned that the poor child would never walk again, and that she was so unhappy because she couldn't be glad any longer, the dear child, I just had to come to you. You are very kind, murmured Miss Polly. But it is you who are to be kind, demurred the other. I want you to give her a message from me. Will you? Certainly. Will you just tell her, then, that Mrs. Tarbell is glad now? Yes, I know it sounds odd, and you don't understand. But if you'll pardon me, I'd rather not explain. Sad lines came to the lady's mouth, and the smile left her eyes. Your niece will know just what I mean, and I felt that I must tell her. Thank you, and pardon me, please, for any seeming rudeness in my call, she begged as she took her leave. 
thoroughly mystified now, Miss Polly hurried upstairs to Pollyanna's room. Pollyanna, do you know a Mrs. Tarbell? Oh, yes, I love Mrs. Tarbell. She's sick and awfully sad, and she's at the hotel and takes long walks. We go together. I mean, we used to. Pollyanna's voice broke, and two big tears rolled down her cheeks. Miss Polly cleared her throat hurriedly. Well, she's just been here, dear. She left a message for you, but she wouldn't tell me what it meant. She said to tell you that Mrs. Tarbell is glad now. Pollyanna clapped her hands softly. Did she say that? Really? Oh, I'm so glad. But, Pollyanna, what did she mean? Why, it's the game, and- Pollyanna stopped short, her fingers to her lips. What game? N nothing much, Aunt Polly. That is, I can't tell it unless I tell other things that- that I'm not to speak of. It was on Miss Polly's tongue to question her niece further, but the obvious distress on the little girl's face stayed the words before they were uttered. Not long after Mrs. Tarbell's visit, the climax came. It came in the shape of a call from a certain young woman with unnaturally pink cheeks and abnormally yellow hair. A young woman who wore high heels and cheap jewelry. A young woman whom Miss Polly knew very well by reputation, but whom she was angrily amazed to meet beneath the roof of the Harrington homestead. Miss Polly did not offer her hand. She drew back, indeed, as she entered the room. The woman rose at once. Her eyes were very red, as if she had been crying. Half defiantly, she asked if she might, for a moment, see the little girl, Pollyanna. Miss Polly said no. She began to say it very sternly, but something in the woman's pleading eyes made her add the civil explanation that no one was allowed yet to see Pollyanna. The woman hesitated, then a little brusquely she spoke. Her chin was still at a slightly defiant tilt. My name is Mrs. Payson, Mrs. Tom Payson. I presume you've heard of me. Most of the good people in the town have. And maybe some of the things you've heard ain't true. But never mind that. It's about the little girl I came. I heard about the accident, and... And it broke me all up. Last week I heard how she could never walk again, and and I wished I could give up my two uselessly well legs for hers. She'd do more good trotting around on them one hour than I could in a hundred years. But never mind that. Legs ain't always given to the ones who can make the best use of them, I notice. She paused and cleared her throat but when she resumed, her voice was still husky. Maybe you don't know it, but I've seen a good deal of that little girl of yours. We live on the Pendleton Hill Road, and she used to go by often. Only she didn't always go by. She came in and played with the kids and talked to me and my man when he was home. She seemed to like it and to like us. She didn't know, I suspect, that her kind of folks don't generally call on my kind. 
Maybe if they did call more, Miss Harrington, there wouldn't be so many of my kind, she added with sudden bitterness. Be that as it may, she came, and she didn't do herself no harm, and she did do us good, a lot of good. How much she won't know, nor can't know, I hope, because if she did, she'd know other things that I don't want her to know. But it's just this. It's been hard times with us this year in more ways than one. We've been blue and discouraged, my man and me, and ready for most anything. We was reckoning on getting a divorce about now and letting the kids, well, we didn't know what we would do with the kids. Then came the accident, and what we heard about the little girls never walking again. And we got to thinking how she used to come and sit on our doorstep and train with the kids and laugh and and just be glad. She was always being glad about something. And then one day, she told us why. And about the game, you know, and tried to coax us to play it. Well, we've heard now that she's fretting her poor little life out of her because she can't play it no more. That there's nothing to be glad about. And that's what I came to tell her today. That maybe she can be a little glad for us because we've decided to stick to each other and play the game ourselves. I knew she would be glad because she used to feel kind of bad at things we said sometimes. Just how the game is going to help us, I can't say that I exactly see yet. But maybe twill. Anyhow, we're going to try. Because she wanted us to. Will you tell her? Yes, I will tell her. Promised Miss Polly, a little faintly. Then, with sudden impulse, she stepped forward and held out her hand. And thank you for coming. Mrs. Payson, she said, simply. The defiant chin fell. The lips above it trembled visibly. With an incoherently mumbled something, Mrs. Payson blindly clutched at the outstretched hand, turned, and fled. The door had scarcely closed behind her before Miss Polly was confronting Nancy in the kitchen. Nancy! Miss Polly spoke sharply, the series of puzzling, disconcerting visits of the last few days, culminating as they had in the extraordinary experience of the afternoon, had strained her nerves to the snapping point. Not since Miss Pollyanna's accident had Nancy heard her mistress speak so sternly. Nancy, will you tell me what this absurd game is that the whole town seems to be babbling about? And what, please, has my niece to do with it? Why does everybody, from Millie Snow to Mrs. Tom Payson, send word to her that they're playing it? As near as I can judge, half the town are putting on blue ribbons or stopping family quarrels, or learning to like something they never liked before, and all because of Pollyanna. I tried to ask the child herself about it, but I can't seem to make much headway, and of course I don't like to worry her. No, but from something I heard her say to you last night, I should judge you were one of them too. Now will you tell me what it all means? 
To Miss Polly's surprise and dismay, Nancy burst into tears. It means that ever since last June, that blessed child has just been making the whole town glad. And now they're turning around and trying to make her a little glad, too. Glad of what? Just glad. That's the game. Miss Polly actually stamped her foot. There you go like all the rest, Nancy. What game? Nancy lifted her chin. She faced her mistress and looked her squarely in the eye. I'll tell you, ma'am. It's a game Miss Pollyanna's father learned her to play. She got a pair of crutches once in a missionary barrel when she was wanting a doll. And she cried, of course, like any child would. It seems twas then her father told her that there wasn't ever anything but what there was something about it that you could be glad about, and that she could be glad about them crutches. Glad for crutches? Miss Polly choked back a sob. She was thinking of the helpless little legs on the bed upstairs. Yes, that's what I said, and Miss Pollyanna said that's what she said, too, but he told her she could be glad, cause she didn't need him. Oh, cried Miss Polly. And after that, she said he made a regular game of it, finding something and everything to be glad about. And she said you could do it too, and that you didn't seem to mind not having the doll so much, cause you was so glad you didn't need the crutches. And they called it the just being glad game. That's the game, ma'am. She's played it ever since. But how, how? Miss Polly came to a helpless pause. And you'd be surprised to find how cute it works, ma'am, too, maintained Nancy, with almost the eagerness of Pollyanna herself. I wish I could tell you what a lot she's done for mother and the folks out home. She's been to see them, you know, twice with me. She's made me glad, too, on such a lot of things. Little things and big things. And it's made them so much easier. For instance, I don't mind Nancy for a name half as much since she told me I could be glad wasn't Hepzibah. And there's Monday mornings, too, that I used to hate so. She's actually made me glad for Monday mornings. Glad for Monday mornings? Nancy laughed. I know it does sound nutty, ma'am, but let me tell you, that blessed lamb found out I hated Monday mornings something awful, and what does she up and tell me one day but this? Well, anyhow, Nancy, I should think you could be gladder on Monday morning than on any other day in the week, because twould be a whole week before you'd have another one. And I'm blessed if I ain't thought of it every Monday morning since. And it has helped, ma'am. It made me laugh, anyhow, every time I thought of it. And laughing helps, you know. It does, it does. But why hasn't she told me the game, faltered Miss Polly. Why has she made such a mystery of it when I asked her? Nancy hesitated. Begging your pardon, ma'am, you told her not to speak of her father, so she couldn't tell you. "'Twas her father's game, you see." Miss Polly bit her lip. She wanted to tell you first off, 
continued Nancy, a little unsteadily. She wanted somebody to play it with, you know. That's why I begun it, so she could have someone. And, and these others? Miss Polly's voice shook now. Oh, everybody most knows it now, I guess. Anyhow, I should think they did from the way I'm hearing of it everywhere I go. Of course, she told a lot, and they told the rest. Them things go, you know, when they get started. And she was always so smiling and pleasant to everyone, and so, so just glad herself all the time that they couldn't help knowing it anyhow. Now, since she's hurt, everybody feels so bad, especially when they hear how bad she feels because she can't find anything to be glad about. And so they've been coming every day to tell her how glad she's made them, hoping that'll help some. You see, she's always wanted everybody to play the game with her. Well, I know somebody who will play it. Now, choked Miss Polly as she turned and sped through the kitchen doorway. Behind her, Nancy stood staring amazedly. Well, I'll believe anything, anything now, she muttered to herself. You can't stump me with anything I wouldn't believe now, Miss Polly. A little later, in Pollyanna's room, the nurse left Miss Polly and Pollyanna alone together. And you've had still another caller today, my dear, announced Miss Polly, in a voice she vainly tried to steady. Do you remember Mrs. Payson? Mrs. Payson? Why, I reckon I do. She lives on the way to Mr. Pendleton's, and she's got the prettiest little girl baby three years old, and a boy most five. She's awfully nice, and so's her husband, only... They don't seem to know how nice each other is. Sometimes they fight. I mean, they don't quite agree. They're poor, too, they say. And of course, they don't ever have barrels. Because he isn't a missionary minister, you know, like... Well, he isn't. A faint color stole into Pollyanna's cheeks, which was duplicated suddenly in those of her aunt. But she wears real pretty clothes sometimes... In spite of their being so poor, resumed Pollyanna, in some haste. And she's got perfectly beautiful rings with diamonds and rubies and emeralds in them. But she says she's got one ring too many, and that she's going to throw it away and get a divorce instead. What is a divorce, Aunt Polly? I'm afraid it isn't very nice, because she didn't look happy when she talked about it. And she said if she did get it, they wouldn't live there anymore, and that Mr. Payson would go way off, and maybe the children too. But I should think they'd rather keep the ring, even if they did have so many more. Shouldn't you? Aunt Polly, what is a divorce? But they aren't going way off, dear, evaded Aunt Polly, hurriedly. They're going to stay right there together. Oh, I'm so glad! Then they'll be there when I go up to see. Oh, dear, broke off the little girl, miserably. Aunt Polly, why can't I remember that my legs don't go anymore? And that I won't ever, ever go up to see Mr. Pendleton again. There, there, don't, choked her aunt. Perhaps you'll drive up sometime. 
But listen, I haven't told you yet all that Mrs. Payson said. She wanted me to tell you that they... They were going to stay together and to play the game, just as you wanted them to. Pollyanna smiled through tear-wet eyes. Did they? Did they really? Oh, I am glad of that. Yes, she said she hoped you'd be. That's why she told you, to make you glad, Pollyanna. Pollyanna looked up quickly. Why, Aunt Polly, you... You spoke just as if you knew. Do you know about the game, Aunt Polly? Yes, dear. Miss Polly sternly forced her voice to be cheerfully matter-of-fact. Nancy told me, I think it's a beautiful game. I'm going to play it now, with you. Oh, Aunt Polly, you? I'm so glad. You see, I've really wanted you most of anybody, all the time. Aunt Polly caught her breath a little sharply. It was even harder this time to keep her voice steady, but she did it. Yes, dear, and there are all those others, too. Why, Pollyanna, I think all the town is playing that game now with you, even to the minister. I haven't had a chance to tell you yet, but this morning I met Mr. Ford when I was down to the village, and he told me to say to you that just as soon as you could see him, he was coming to tell you that he hadn't stopped being glad over those 800 rejoicing texts that you told him about. So you see, dear, it's just you that have done it. The whole town is playing the game, and the whole town is wonderfully happier. And all because of one little girl who taught the people a new game, and how to play it. Pollyanna clapped her hands. Oh, I'm so glad, she cried. Then, suddenly, a wonderful light illumined her face. Why, Aunt Polly, there is something I can be glad about, after all. I can be glad I've had my legs anyway, else I couldn't have done that. Thank you, again, for continuing to join us for each episode of Storylight. And if you're new to us, we send you the warmest welcome. Whether you're a new listener or an old friend, we at Storylight would be very grateful if you would subscribe to the podcast and give it a nice rating and review on whatever platform you listen. More than that, though... We would love for more people to be able to enjoy these stories. So please, tell a friend about us. You are my joy. You are my happy thoughts. We'll see you next time.